We are not in it for the money. We are in it for helping people. We are there for our people, for the candidates and the clients. And that is uh, why we do this. That's why we can go on. And that's why uh, people love to work with us. Welcome to The Resilient Recruiter. I'm your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm really excited today to introduce you to my special guest, Gerard, or Gerard Kulin. Gerard is the owner of Lugera, which is a, a multinational recruiting and staffing agency. They're in nine countries. They have 30 offices, 400 staff, and revenue of 130 million euros. Harrod is a really interesting guy. He's a very successful entrepreneur. Today, we're going to talk about, number one, how to be a successful entrepreneur in the recruiting space and grow a massively successful recruitment business. The mindset, even the, the strategies, and really practical advice from Harrod's um, own success, as well as the mistakes and the lessons he's learned along the way. Number two, we're going to talk about mergers and acquisitions because Lugera has grown through acquisition. And so Herod has a really interesting perspective on, on why he's done that and how he's been able to make it work for him. And number three, and probably most importantly, we're going to talk about recruitment technology. Herod believes that recruiting technology combined with up-leveling the skill of your recruitment consultants is the combination that's going to allow you to be successful in the next normal within the recruiting industry. So with that said, let's get started. Unfortunately, the audio quality isn't up to our usual high standard because of a poor internet connection. I decided to release this episode anyway because the interview is so good, I didn't want you to miss out on this information. So please bear with us. I promise your patience will be rewarded. So Harard, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Thank you, Mark, for having me on your show. I'm very excited and uh, I'm honored. All right. Okay, brilliant. Uh, this is going to be great. You and I have spoken several times over the last couple of years, and uh, I've been fascinated by your story and what you've been able to achieve in the recruiting and staffing industry um, I know that one of the things you're passionate about is um, helping recruiters and teams to optimize their performance. Um, could you talk a little bit about how you became, you know, the, the number one agency in, uh, in, your, uh, in your area and, you know, what was involved in, in creating that outcome? Well, uh, first of all, um, well, we started this business because we, we love to help people, right? And it's, it's, for us, it turned out that recruitment was the best and most direct way to help people. So we are really passionate about it. So I think that is uh, the basis or the foundation for our successes in Eastern Europe. And uh, we have now become uh, the biggest independent uh, staffing agency in Eastern Europe. And um, we are passionate about uh, enhancing the skills and the performance of our people. But we also know that that is, of course, not only uh, a people thing. Uh, we have always invested a lot in HR technology. Uh, we want to be front runners in HR technology. We think innovation is key. 
And I think that that uh, made us, uh, in some markets, uh, the biggest agency where we operate. All right. Awesome. So um, I'd like to dive into both of those points. One is increasing skills, but secondly is, you know, embracing HR technology and leveraging technology in order to um, become the, the the biggest in your, you know, in your space. Can you speak, let's take a step back first and give people the context though. Can you talk a little bit about your business in Eastern Europe and, and the sort of size and shape of your, of your company? Oh yeah, sure, sure. Well, we started in 1996 in uh, a little town in Slovakia, Trenčín. Uh, with two partners, uh, Lubos and Rastio. So our name is Lou Gera, Lubos Gera Rastio. And we wanted to start as a temporary staffing agency, but there was no demand for us. So uh, our first clients like Heineken and KPMG, they asked us to, uh, to recruit for them a permanent staffing. So we did. And... Um, we were recruiting, recruiting, learning, the, learning uh, the profession. We made all the mistakes we made. It was hilarious if I look back all the crazy stuff we did. And um, we worked very hard day and night. Uh, at a certain point, we found out that uh, what we were doing um, was not good enough to to realize our ambitions. So we found out that we needed recruitment software. And as a very small company in Slovakia, we went to Western countries, to Western providers of recruitment software, but nobody wanted to deliver it to us. They didn't trust Eastern Europe. They didn't trust us as a small company. So we didn't have any other option than to have our own recruitment software made, uh, the software development company in uh, Slovakia. And the cool thing was that when we had that software ready and when we really started to work with it, within a year we became the biggest in Slovakia because technology helped us to do much more than without technology. So we really learned a great lesson that uh, when you are in recruitment, even if you have so many great people working for you, uh, help them with great technology. You know, because a lot of our people, they are smart, they are ambitious, they are hardworking. But if you let them do, let's say, stupid jobs or boring work, like sourcing candidates, uh, endlessly sending emails or doing phone calls which are not answered, or gazing at LinkedIn, trying to find candidates, all that work is necessary. But... It's not a nice job. And so you need technology to take over the boring activities from, from your people. So they have a better job, a more fulfilling job, and they can do much more. All right. Awesome. It's so many topics to follow up on there. Um, so from that early start in uh, Slovakia, you've now built uh, a very sizable business across Eastern Europe. Um, what is this, the size of the business now? 
Yeah, we are in uh, in Russia, in Ukraine, where we took over ADECO. We are in Morocco, where we took over ADECO too. We are in Czech Republic, there we also took over a small company, GIT. Uh, we are in Romania, under the brand Lugera. We are, of course, in Slovakia. Uh, we still have a little operation in uh, Armenia. And we have a little operation in uh, the Netherlands, and we have started in the UK. Uh, we do now around, or last year, we did 130 million euro of revenue with 400 uh, internal staff, around 10,000 or to 12,000 temps. And um, yeah, we basically do three services, payroll, permanent staffing, and uh, temporary staffing. Amazing. So uh, now, Herard, you're Dutch. Why did you decide to build your business in Eastern Europe instead of in the Netherlands, which is also a good market? Yeah, well, I was working in Slovakia at that time for a big shoe importer. And in 1996, I decided to quit. And I uh, was actually moving back to the Netherlands, but with Rastio and Lubos, who were my colleagues in that company, uh, we decided to just start for fun a company. And uh, so we established Lugera. But my intentions were to go back to the Netherlands and start working there. But after three or four months, when we moved back to the Netherlands, uh, the company took off in Slovakia. So, uh, again, we packed our bags, took the children with us, and uh, went back to Slovakia and to really start to build this company. And I, I loved Eastern Europe. It's, uh, it was a wonderful uh, a place to, for an entrepreneur. You know, there was not much competition yet. Uh, there was a lot of other stuff going on uh, with uh, the... Uh, with the swift from communism to capitalism. And uh, yeah, it was interesting. It was wonderful. Interesting. So I, I know of recruiting firms in the UK who might set off, set up a, uh, an office, let's say, in Eastern Europe, and they use it as, because uh, the labor cost is much lower there, they use it uh, to do a lot of their either back office function or even recruiting or resourcing for candidates. Um, but they are still making placements in the, in the sort of, you know, more developed, uh, more established markets. Um, but you chose to actually do business in the Eastern European countries that you've listed. Um, and I'm just curious about that because, you know, presumably the, are, you know, I'm, I don't really know that much about that market. So aren't the placement fees lower and sort of the, um, you know, the salaries less if you compare it to other currencies? Yes, absolutely. Uh, in Slovakia, our average fee is 2,400 euro for a placement fee. In Romania, it's even less. It's, it's 1,800 euro. So uh, in Russia, it is also less uh, absolutely less than in, uh, in Western Europe. So also several UK uh, search uh, staffing agencies uh, use us for uh, searching the candidates, introducing the candidates, and then they take over. Interesting. So nevertheless, you decided to really concentrate on, on 
Eastern European markets. Um, you mentioned that you love doing business in Eastern Europe. It's great for entrepreneurs. Why is that? Could you elaborate? I'm really, really curious because you're the you're the only. Well, actually, yeah, you are the only entrepreneur I know who's really focused on on that market. Yeah. Well. Um, it wasn't easy, and uh, often I looked at my friends in Western Europe who were doing great, while in the beginning uh, Eastern Europe was struggling, of course. So uh, sometimes I thought, oh my God, what am I doing here in Eastern Europe? Um, but I hang on, and uh, eventually it was great. Um, you know, uh, what is great from Eastern Europe, and certainly those times back in 1996, is that the people were very eager. So everybody was so hardworking and with so much pleasure and fun and with so much motivation that, you know, that was just wonderful. And people went for it. We had, we had to close the, uh, the system at Friday afternoon in order to prevent people of working too much. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, everybody was working all the time. You know, at, uh, if you would send an email at 12 o'clock in the night, you got, a, you got an answer. Wow. So just people really embracing this shift uh, from one paradigm to another and the opportunity that represented and they were willing to work super hard. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and very disciplined. So, uh, yeah, we have, we have, and still we have, we have wonderful teams also now with, uh, and with the current crisis, uh, our teams just work like crazy, you know, and, uh, even harder if possible. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I once ran a seminar in uh, Warsaw in Poland and um, a company there who've subsequently been acquired by Randstad, but they were an independent uh, recruitment company started actually by an American guy whose wife was Polish. That's a lot, another story. But uh, he set up there and he had, I think, about 12 branches uh, around Poland and uh, they were doing really, really well. Uh, he brought me over to to train their senior people and their and their management team. Uh, this is going back, I think, about sixteen years ago. It was oh. even before Poland joined the EU, and um, I was really impressed with how uh, like really smart and ambitious and hardworking the the people were that he put he'd put together. Um, so, so I can, I, I kind of get what you're, what you're talking about. What were some of now? So, I mean, that's a, that's a, that journey of, uh, so that's 96, you said you started, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, 69. Sorry. Uh, 96, yeah, of course. <laughs> 96. And, uh, so that's over 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, there must have been many challenges along the way. Could you highlight, like, what were some of the biggest obstacles that you had to encounter and overcome in order to achieve the level of success that you have today? Uh, well, when we implemented our first recruitment application, we were so busy implementing it that we nearly get, got bankrupt because we forgot all about sales and recruitment. Okay. Well, that was the biggest challenge. Um, then uh, the other challenges were uh, the frequent changes in legislation. 
So that wasn't easy uh, to cope with, and uh, governments were prob- probably a bit inexperienced. But sometimes we got tax changes uh, back in time. So in February, you got a tax change what's, which started in January. Uh, so many changes, uh, legal changes. Uh, um, the law for temporary staffing was not always clear in every country. That was tough. Uh, When we were growing, uh, from time to time, we were faced with uh, with corrupt corrupt, uh, uh, officials from tax authorities, etc. So those were big challenges to to deal with. Um, We never gave in, so we always keep clean and straight. Um, But they they, they blackmail you, so that's not always easy. Wow. Um, but, you know, those were the things of the past, I would say, because now uh, in all the countries, uh, it's wonderfully, greatly arranged. Uh, especially, I have to say, Russia is beautifully organized, very straightforward, very strict, very uh, predictive. So that's totally clean. Mm. And Czech Republic, Slovakia, you know, those are just now civilized countries, I would say, at top class. And also Romania is getting better and better. I imagine that's changed a lot in the last 20 years. What It seems to me that uh, you guys have grown like incredibly and grown quickly. Um, and sometimes growth itself creates challenges. Could you speak a little bit on, on like the maybe the dangers of growing so quickly? Yeah, well, growing is more, growing very fast is more dangerous, I would say, than a a crisis. Because growing very fast means that, especially with temporary stuffing, that you are immediately short of money. Mm -hmm. So if your overdraft, if your bank facility, money facilities don't grow with you so fast, then you end up that you uh, cannot pay the bills anymore if you grow too fast. So that is the most dangerous thing. And also, if you have to expand your team, you don't have time for training, people don't have time to develop fast enough as your company does. Uh, So those are actually the most, for me, how I see it, the most dangerous times in a company that you grow fast. Right. So one is the the cash flow uh, is um, cash flow situation. And the second is, being able to onboard and train people quickly enough to keep up. And your processes. So mm. if you grow too fast, uh, there is no time anymore for uh, doing all the processes correct. Right. Absolutely. So then if we break those down, how what have you learned in that process that you know allows you to do things differently now and that you've figured all this out? Well, if you grow, uh, you really have to grow with cautious. So uh, I'm not uh, an advocate anymore for growing, just like growing. So now that we grow, we take it easy. And Mm -hmm. we we only take the clients which we really want to serve and knowing that we can do a great job for them. Because also if you grow too fast... Uh, you you make mistakes and you alienate clients from you because you can't service them all the way you should service them. 
So you should grow moderately, I would say. But, you know, uh, it's also very difficult for an entrepreneur because if you can get more and more business, I mean, that's what you are working for. Yes. It's so extremely difficult not to take on a new client who wants to work with you. And when we took over uh, uh, Adepco in Russia, uh, we decided also that we had to let go of certain clients. I had never done that before in my life. And actually, I thought that I got crazy. (laughs) Could you let go a great client? But we had to. Wow. Okay. So the taking over a deco in in several countries, that's a a story I'd I'd love to hear. Before we do, you know, just on the subject of growth then, you said, like in the past, you were your your ambition was such that you grew maybe faster than was prudent. Um, do you have a formula now, or how do you decide like when is the right time to expand the business? Well, in the beginning, what we did is that we wanted to grow in other countries uh, from scratch. So let's say green fields. So we did that in Czech Republic and Ukraine, and we spent a lot of money, and it didn't work out. Um, so that was a road that we didn't want to, to, to do anymore. And the only green field was, which was tremendous success, uh, was when I met Christina Sobwika. Uh, she's Romanian. I met her in Slovakia and she went, uh, to, op- to Romania back to open, uh, Lugera. That was a tremendous success. And then we thought we can do that everywhere, but we couldn't. So... I would never grow anymore by trying to do it myself. It's better to take over a company in a country and take it from there because then you already have an infrastructure. Uh, what we also had uh, a lot of problems is that we took, uh, that we, in, once in Slovakia, we doubled our revenue in one year. Wow. So we took too many people on board. We made too many costs. Everybody got a car. You know, then those were the days that we had around 90 consultants and we had 50 company cars. Can you imagine? Wow. So, you know, if you grow so fast, you think the sky is the limit and that you are God and that you can do everything. But then reality comes in and uh, it points to your place again and you have to go back and be humble. You know, so I think the biggest danger is that you start to think that you can do everything. Mm. Right, right. What was the point uh, at which that reality check hit you and and you realized that you could be in trouble unless you made changes? Well, the the reality check came that we suddenly didn't have money anymore to pay all the bills. So uh, when was that? You can't fool yourself. You can't uh, just keep on investing and neglecting, uh, for example, your revenue, your profitability. Uh, and, uh, so, Harold, uh, when, when was that and how did you course correct? Well, we had that several moments. So in those 20 years, we had these crises, of course, in 2009. Yeah. We had it in, in 2011 or 12. Okay. It was in 1998 and 1999. Yeah. 
Uh, and I think in 2002 and six, we had it regularly. So every three okay. years. Yes. It took a while before we became wise, you could say. <laughs> okay. And then, like, what, what difficult decisions or changes did you have to make in order to, you know, improve the profitability and the, and the cash flow position? Well, the most difficult things uh, are that you have to let go of people. Mm. And I, I remember very well in 2009 or 2008 when it started, we had such a great team. We were working so good uh, with a top quality of our uh, level, surface level. And then we had to let go of people. And uh, there was no way of choosing who should go. And I remember very well that in Romania, we had to let go around 100 staff. Wow. Yeah, that was a bad thing. And yes. but it was amazing that around 30 people came back the next day and they said, guys, we're going to help you out. We're going to work for free. Oh, my goodness. So they came back. They worked for free. And of course... <laughs> we could not not pay them, so uh, we we hired them again, and uh, and we managed. And thanks to them, it was amazing. But during that crisis, we were able to increase our total revenue with the year before. So we didn't even go down in revenue, uh, although we were not profitable anymore due to the extremely high extra cost we had. But 2008 was a record year. And 2009 was even more revenue. That's amazing, Herod. I've never heard of that happening before. What, so this is a direction I hadn't planned to talk about today, but what do you think um, you guys did in the business that created such loyalty and, you know, in, in the team members that even though you couldn't pay them, they still wanted to work? Yeah, well, uh, that was in Romania, uh, also in Slovakia, people uh, didn't want to leave. Um, well, I have great partners in all those countries. So, and uh, we are not in it for the money. We are in it for helping people. And we really like what we do. Although we are professional and we need to get paid, of course, our invoices. But... We are there for our people, for the candidates and the clients. And maybe uh, that sounds a bit uh, uh, not so good, but, but that is uh, why we do this. That's why we can go on. And that's why uh, people love to work with us. Amazing. That's really cool. The recruitment industry is going through a time of unprecedented challenge and all of us have been affected to a greater or lesser extent. From what I can see from my vantage point, speaking to hundreds of recruitment business owners around the world, for the vast majority of recruiters, this is a very painful time. What about you? Do you have a plan for the next 30, 60, and 90 days? All of my clients have a plan to navigate this crisis because I've helped them to create one. I've survived multiple economic cycles, including the dot-com bubble, the crash after 9-11, the Great Recession of 08-09. And listen, I know this is different to anything we've seen before, but based on my past experience, I'm confident that I'm getting through this in decent shape, and I'm determined to bring my clients with me. 
So if you're ready to be proactive instead of reactive, and you're open to getting some guidance and support, then you're invited to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. I will be focused on helping you to get clarity on your situation and create a plan for moving forward. By the way, I don't have all the answers and I'm not promising miracles. I can promise you'll leave the call feeling focused and re-energized with a solid plan for moving forward with or without my help. Once again, it's www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. You're also one of the few entrepreneurs I've spoken to who have grown through acquisition and you've done that really successfully. Can you tell the story of acquiring a deco in Russia and a, a couple of other countries that you mentioned? Yeah, it was always a dream for me to have uh, an agency in Russia and Ukraine. And then uh, uh, so at, at a certain moment, I got a phone call from Blackwood uh, Capital Partners, from Ronnie Grossman, if he would be interested to talk to a deco. And... Uh, Previously, we we had several um, jobs together with Adeco, so we worked together, and I like them very much. They're ethical, uh, they know what they're talking about, obviously very professional, so the cultures were a little bit of similarity we had. So I like that. Yeah, I met with uh, the board of ADECO in Zurich, and we presented our plan. They liked it, and uh, we got the two companies, Ukraine and Russia. And within one and a half year, we had the companies up and running, very profitable again. And yeah, because of those good results, they also uh, favored us, uh, ADECO in Morocco. And until this moment, we also closely cooperate with, uh, with ADECO. And yeah, that goes really great now. Wow. Okay, so this is a cool story. Like, can we back up a second? Because you mentioned, did you say it was BlackRock Capital Partners? Yeah, Ronnie Crossman. So um, you must have already been on the lookout for acquisitions then. Did, had you given them instruction that you were looking for companies or how did you know or did they just how did they know to call you about this opportunity well we uh, bought in 2014 uh, git from empresaria a well-known uh, uk uh, company yes I've so we got a little bit known in the world of uh, mergers and acquisitions and um also in those days uh, several companies tried to acquire us and we have always been talking to people, but uh, we have never sold our company. So we got a little bit uh, known in this world. And of course, in Eastern Europe, we were a player who everybody knows. And yes, we were interested, but we were not very actively looking. Got it. And then why was ADECO looking to get out of those markets? Because I guess to... to to agree on a deal, you need to understand motivations, right? And, you know, has to be, it's good for both parties. So they have their own reasons for, you know, exiting. And you've got your reasons for thinking this is a great opportunity. I can make it even better. Um, you know, why, why would ADECO, you know, leave those markets that you've had really good success in? Yeah, a couple of years ago, uh, ADECO got a new CEO, Alain de Haase. And uh, he changed the, the strategy. And because of that 
change of strategy, um, they had to move out of Russia, probably, but I'm not sure, but it could be the, the political situation that time. And uh, that's why they decided to, to move out. Uh, then the problems with uh, Ukraine and Russia. So I think that, yes. uh, I, I, I don't know exactly the reasons, but I think that could be uh, okay. one of the, the reasons. Well, I mean, I guess you could argue that they're maybe higher risk, uh, you know, um, economies because of the political situation and especially with what was going on with Ukraine a couple of couple of years ago. My, my sister-in-law is Ukrainian uh, and her, her parents are in, in Kiev. Um, OK, interesting. So you, I guess the big question then is within a year and a half, you made it profitable. How did you go about um, turning around those uh, those businesses that you acquired. Yeah, well, we we obviously made a plan, but uh, basically what we did is we were cutting costs. Uh, we were building a sales team because there were no fo- uh, focused sales teams. Um, we were introducing uh, a bit more surface levels. We were. Um, um, improving permanent stuffing. Temporary stuffing was very well organized, but with too many people. So um, when we took over ADECO, they were with 200 people. 100 people left, not because we fired them, but uh, they went to seek uh, other career opportunities. So we were left with 100 people while we were doing the same revenue. So oh, we made wow. the mission much more efficient and and with a big focus on, on sales because there was actually not real focused sales in those companies. Interesting. So you increased the efficiency. You were able to keep the same revenue with fewer staff. And then you had a major focus on sales, uh, which maybe wasn't you know, wasn't as robust uh, previously. You had a real focus on that. Uh, and you also at- strengthened their permanent offering because they were primarily focused on temp. As, did I get that right? Exactly. And we had to, we, we let go of three uh, uh, clients. So the three biggest clients uh, we had to let go because uh, we were working on a loss with them. And uh, we were not able to increase the margin a little bit. So actually, uh, Every month we had to pay money for them being uh, our clients. So uh, we gradually uh, stopped with them. It's crazy. Why do you think some of the really, like the world's biggest uh, staffing companies would operate at a loss with certain clients? That doesn't make sense to me. Oh, that's uh, very logical. And I would do the same. Because uh, if they work for a big client all over the world, um, and uh, Adeco is in 60 countries, so uh, if you make a great margin in 50 countries and you make a little bit of loss in, uh, in a couple of smaller countries for your, for your operations, then in the end you have anyhow a profitable client but just in some of your operations, you make a loss and you can easily compensate that loss with your profits you make. Makes sense. I hadn't thought of it that way. Right. Okay. I, I get it. So, um, Harard, I, I want to go back to the 
our starting point, which is that you've combined um, helping your recruitment consultants to develop their skills, but also giving them access to technology that um, really enables them to do less of the sort of repetitive, boring work that, you know, if someone's a salesperson or someone is even in a a recruiting role, you're a people person, right? That is your core. uh, The reason you got into recruitment is because that's the part you love. And those same people are not always the best at doing, you know, uh, the more boring, repetitive tasks, right? Because they don't, they're not interested in that. So um, how have you used technology to overcome that? Yeah, I had... uh... I had a vision about what, what the new technology should have been, should be. And uh, so I went on the market to start uh, or to buy something because I thought what I invent now, what my vision is, for sure somebody made it. So I went to Silicon Valley, to Toronto, to Los Angeles, New York, Zurich, Amsterdam, wherever I went. And... Um, I, I, I talk to people, to developers, and to companies who have recruitment applications. I, I told them my ideas, and they all said, well, that's beautiful. If you're ready, come back to us. We will sell it for you. Uh, the thing is that our ideas, what we wanted, didn't exist, and nobody wanted to make it, not even in Silicon Valley. And we had money for it, but no, nobody wanted it. Everybody turned me down. So then we thought, okay, we have to develop it ourselves. So after one year, I found a company who could, uh, two companies who were able to develop it. Or at least what they said is the technology is not yet there, but we will invent stuff and we will get there. So uh, we thought we would be ready in two years uh, for 400,000 euro. Now we are four or five years already in development and we spent 1.5 million. But we are now going live. Wow. Uh, yeah, those are really state-of-the-art uh, recruitment tools. And I showed it uh, to our Ukrainian teams, uh, our UK, Ukrainian team, and uh, one of the, our best recruiters, Vicky, she said, wow, this is recruitment magic. And uh, <laughs> we are now having results with it. So let me just try and get this straight. You had this idea of what you wanted it to do, um, and you t- you went around looking for vendors who already had recruitment technology applications and asked them if they could, you know, if they had anything like that already or if they could build it for you, and they didn't want to do it. Um, what was it that you were asking? What was the brief, and why didn't they? Why weren't they interested? Because it seems like you know, this is something that could benefit a lot of recruitment companies. No, absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, I talked to Bullhorn, uh, Job Steins, Talent Rover, uh, Job Diva, all the, all, all the great applications. What we wanted is that any vacancy we would have should be matched within a second with relevant candidates. So relevant candidates mean Dirty uh, we matches the vacancy exactly and in a scoring percentage. But not only in English, but also in Russian and in Dutch and in German and French and in any language. That's what I wanted. 
Further, I wanted that all my, our salespeople immediately have access to all the new vacancies posted online in a country and that they can communicate immediately with all those companies. But as you know, uh, a vacancy on a job portal uh, is without contact details, without a contact person. So we needed software who finds the contact person and his or her email address so that our salespeople can immediately communicate with all companies in need of people. At the, the very same second that that vacancy is posted. So that's what we did. But approaching a, a company for a vacancy is one thing. But you also need immediately to have all the relevant matched candidates for that vacancy. So our software is doing both. It matches vacancies to people. The other thing is that a lot of recruiters send their shortlist to a company. From that shortlist, let's say five people, only one is hired, four are not hired. But you have excellent, great people willing to move. So what this system does is that you upload these CVs, immediately you have all the relevant vacancies for those people, and with one click you can approach all those companies that you have a great candidate. Uh, so in the Ukraine, where we uh, are testing STAR the most, uh, we have now tripled uh, the number of placements because uh, we do this talent scan that we upload the CVs and we immediately find a lot of great vacancies. And especially in these times now that the permanent staffing business is very, very slow, uh, we have at least three new clients every week in Kiev. Wow. Can you imagine? And everywhere we go down, it's 50%, 60%, 70%. But now in Ukraine, we keep, uh, we stay on, the, on, on a great level. That's amazing. So you mentioned this is called STAR. What does that stand for? Yeah, we, we, we were supposed to have a very cool name. Uh, but the working name was STAR, which is Sales and Talent Acquisition Application. So Sales and Talent Acquisition Application. And we never changed the name. <laughs> okay. Excellent. I don't love that name, but it, it says what it does. So I guess, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it, once you know what STAA stands for, then it makes, it makes total sense. Wow. Okay. So you spent a million and a half euros and took four or five years to develop this tool for your own uh, company. And it sounds like you're rolling that out within uh, Lugera and, you know, having great success in, in Ukraine. Um, what then, I guess the question is, why not keep that as your secret weapon? Why make that available to anybody else? Um, we want to make it available to everybody who would love to have it. Um, I don't believe in keeping things for yourself. And um, we are now looking for, in every country in the world, we are looking for a partner who can bring STAR to market. And that can be agencies, uh, that can be people who, who love the idea and who want to go for it. So, no, we're not going to keep it for ourselves. I also think that you can't keep technology for yourself because there will also be other people who... Uh, who come up with the IDs. I mean, we are not the only one working in this. I have seen thousands of great recruitment applications anyhow. And I suppose if you commercial, 
if you commercialize it and um, are able to to license it to others, that gives you revenue to continue developing the software, right? And making it better all the time. Exactly, exactly. And we, we came to a point that we would welcome uh, investors into uh, into the development because paying everything out of your own pocket, uh, well, you can't do that uh, forever, I think. Right, absolutely. Wow, that's so cool. Um, Herard, what, um, looking back over, let's say, the, the 24 years that you have been in the recruiting and staffing business, um, what, what would you say was maybe um, the biggest lesson that you learned in that, you know, along that journey? The biggest lesson, well, the, 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 the biggest lessons I got were from all the crisis we went through. And uh, I have learned that um, uh, when you work hard and when you have set your goals, uh, whatever happens, nothing, nothing can stop you. Really nothing. And um, yeah, that's the biggest lesson, you know, not to, to start whining and feeling pity for yourself of what is happening now to me and uh, this is a bad world and uh, everything goes down. No, you just have to have your goals fixed and go for it and nothing will stop you. And whatever happens on your way is, is a lesson. And it, it, it teaches you, it makes you better. Well, that's what the resilient recruiter mindset is all about, right? It's we can't control external circumstances. We can only control our own reactions, how we interpret those events, how we respond to them what decisions and, and, and actions, you know, behaviors that we make, right? So, uh, so what you've just captured is beautiful. It's, it's having that, um, that stoic, you know, mindset it gives you the resilience, even though it's, it's not fun for sure. Like what we're going through right now, this crisis, it, it sucks, right? There's no, yeah. it, it, everybody's affected. Everybody's sales are down. Um, and, and we have no control over that. All we can control is how we respond and keeping that strong mindset that you uh, that you articulated in order to, you know, keep moving forward towards your your goals for sure. Yeah. Well, Anthony Robbins once said, "You only fail if you give up." And uh, but if you listen to all your podcasts, uh, Mark, uh, I always hear people who have solutions who go for it. And actually, in any time, it's tough. Also, when the market is going up, uh, you have your challenges. But if you listen to all what uh, your guests uh, are saying is that I have my ideas, I have my plans, I go for it. And nothing will stop me. And there are always solutions for everything. Absolutely. I love it. And um, yes, Tony Robbins, I, I listened to when I was, I think, 16, when I first listened to his personal power tapes and and you know there is no as long as you keep trying and you you keep moving forward then you haven't failed right because uh, you're still in the game you still have a chance to find the solution and, and turn things around so it's only if you quit or you give up that uh, you know the game is over and and you you lose but as long as you keep playing then you know it, it's an infinite game have you read Simon Sinek's uh, the infinite game no no, no. oh you'd love it Herard you'd love it 
You know, Simon Sinek, he wrote uh, Start With Why is his most famous book. And he's famous for, the, there's a clip on YouTube about working with, um, you know, with, with the next generation uh, and, you know, how to, how to navigate that successfully. But he's written a book called The Infinite Game, which is really interesting, which is a different paradigm for business, which is most businesses and even business books teach that you're trying to win, right? You're trying to beat the competition. Um, and he gives the example that, you know, there's, there's two types of games. There's games which are finite where, um, you know, there's a, there's a winner and a loser, right? But then there's games that are infinite where you never, you know, uh, you, you never win. Like, how can you say you're a winner in life, right? Or you win the game of career, right? Or, you know, you win the game of business. There's no end point where you can just say that one, one person has won and, and another person lost. So it's really just uh, a totally different paradigm of the way you look at business and um, allows for a lot more creativity in, in the way you approach things. So definitely check it out. What, um, thank you for being a listener of my podcast, by the way, Herard. Is there, do you have a favorite episode or um, one that, you know, really resonated for you? The one with Christy and uh, not the one I got in my inbox today or yesterday, but uh, with um, the guy who also had an office in Amsterdam. Amsterdam, Singapore, and James was his name. Uh, no, that was um, Jordan Lawrence. Oh yeah, Jordan Lawrence and Christy Brown uh, were both. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, they're good episodes. So, uh, Harard, if people want to reach out to you and follow up, they maybe want to learn about Sta and how they can become a partner and and help you to you know, to take that to market or, or what have you, what's the best way for people to find out more about that? Well, you can uh, always email me, gerard.coolen at lugera.com. If you Google my name, uh, I, I have put my phone number and email address on all our websites. So you can easily call me or email me. So uh, you can uh, connect to me it's on sta.agency or lugera.com or gerard.coolen at lugera.com. Okay, so let me let me check that again. So it's Herard or gerard.coolen at lugera.com. Exactly. And the star website was staa.agency. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Herard, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. Mark, it was my pleasure. Thank you so very much. All right. And we'll speak again soon, I'm sure. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.